Hey, it's Ray. This week, I want to take a look back at our episode on maternal health. This one's from the archives. We actually released it in 2021. And at the time, we discussed the worsening maternal health crisis and how newly tightening abortion laws and COVID-19 were exacerbating disparities. I would love to tell you that things have gotten better since then, but that would be a lie. We're going to be playing this episode almost in its entirety, though you are going to hear me interject a handful of times to address a few of the things that have changed. And then I'll be back at the end of the original episode with brand new bonus content to discuss what's driving poor maternal outcomes today and why there needs to be a massive shift in how the industry thinks about maternal health moving forward. But for now, here's the original episode from 2021. From Advisory Board, we are bringing you a radio advisory. My name is Rachel Woods. You can call me Ray. We spend a lot of time talking about racism and equity on this podcast. In fact, we have an entire playlist dedicated to it that I'll link in the show notes. But today I want to talk about a specific component of health equity, one where the United States is actually woefully behind and that's maternal health. To do that, I've brought back advisory board health equity expert Darby Sullivan. I also asked Callie Chamberlain to join us. She's the co-director of social responsibility at Optum, the co-host of their podcast, Until It's Fixed, and she's a trained birth doula. Hey, Darby. Hey, Callie. Hi, Ray. Hi. Darby, are you sick of coming on Radio Advisory yet? Not at all. I love coming on and chatting with you about this stuff. And Callie, you are our first time guest. And we've had a few clinicians on the podcast before, but you are our first doula to come on, which is so cool. I love it. Thank you for having me. Callie, you have a very interesting role. You actually co-lead social responsibility for Optum, which has this broad focus on health equity. But you yourself kind of had this aha moment. You realized somewhere along the line that organizations like Optum weren't actually doing enough for maternal health equity specifically. When did you have this personal aha moment? In my doula training, learning more about the experience of being pregnant and going through labor and delivery and postpartum, it really became clear to me how many gaps there are in the system and Mm. also what the lived experience are of birthing people. And so being on the other side of that and training to essentially fill those gaps and work against some of what the system has set up amplified for me the opportunity to really do something different here. So learning about the training and then also recognizing that Optum provides services to one in 10 children that are born in the United States, it just became clear there was a major opportunity for us to actually change the way we do business. And I think a lot of folks end up coming back to this firsthand experience, although not many actually go to the point of saying, I'm actually going to train to be a birth doula. But other people say, you know, when I had a child or when my partner had a child or my sister or my brother, that's what made me realize that maternal health is actually a problem here in the United States. And I want to spend some time just talking about how big of a problem this is. Darby, 
help level set for me. Yeah. So the U.S. has the highest mortality ratio for pregnancy-related deaths compared to all other similar nations. Wow. We're also the only country where our rate is actually increasing over time. So it's gotten 60% worse since the year 2000. Since the year 2000? Yeah, 60% worse. Most people know that maternal mortality, they've heard by now that it's a problem in the U.S., but I don't think many people realize how preventable the majority of these deaths are. So 60% Mm. of pregnancy-related deaths that are measured could have been prevented with things like proper delivery at the point of care proper care delivery during birth, prenatal care, and more. And you're speaking specifically about maternal mortality, but where do we stand when it comes to maternal health more broadly? Or maybe even what does that term encompass? Maternal health encompasses, at least when we talk about it here at the advisory board, the mortality and also the morbidities that happen related to pregnancy. And so the mortality is really, really bad, but morbidities are also pretty severe. So I think every year between 60 or 80,000 patients in the U.S. have a near miss or some severe pregnancy-related morbidity, which does not lead to death, but can have really severe like clinical emotional implications. And the rate of those near misses are getting worse over time as well. Hmm. And some folks are increasingly familiar with the maternal health problem, but I, what I think not as many folks realize is the disparate outcomes between racial groups in the U.S., Ah, well, let's go there. Let's give it the platform that it deserves. What do we see when it comes to disparities within groups? Yeah. So I guess first to zoom out, I want to emphasize that no matter who you are in the U.S., you are at risk of having a negative outcome just because you live in this country. But the problem is a lot more severe for specifically Black and Native American patients So Native Americans die at a rate of 2.5 times the rate of white people, and Black patients die at more than triple the rate. And really notably, these disparities hold true when you account for education, when you account for income. One of the most striking facts that I've heard is that Black women with a college degree are more likely to experience these morbidities than white women that don't have a high school education. At this point in the original episode, we discussed how COVID-19 would disproportionately impact pregnant people and worsen maternal mortality. I'm going to skip past this part of the original episode for now, but know that in the bonus segment, we are going to talk about how the newest data shows just how much COVID affected women's health writ large. Okay, let me force myself to go to a slightly more positive place, right? This is a huge, huge problem. But the good news is that people like Cali and organizations like like Optum have kind of realized with this spotlight that COVID has put on maternal health that we actually need to do something about it. So, so Cali, my question for you is, what advice do you have for organizations that are looking at this problem and saying, we need to take a bolder stance on maternal health equity? I mean, first of all, yes, absolutely. Just to underline something that Darby had mentioned earlier, when we think about equity in this context, the baseline is also not good, right? Like nobody wants to be there. Outcomes are terrible. Care is, there's a lot to be desired for everyone, regardless of what your race or ethnic background is. It's Mm -hmm. especially bad for people of color. And so I think that being able to center around that to go into communities that are representative of your most vulnerable populations and asking them to help you solve the problems and being humble in that approach, being willing to amplify their voices and put resources behind them to ensure that you're truly understanding the complexity of the problem is so important. 
This is really nuanced advice because you're saying, on the one hand, this problem is bad for everyone, but we know that these mm-hmm. disparities exist. But when it comes to the action steps that an organization takes, you actually want to orient your efforts at the portion of the population that has the worst outcomes because you know ultimately it will benefit everyone. And that's a really specific nuance that I want to make sure people hear. Yes, thank you for calling that out. And our belief is that when you solve for that group of people, you actually end up solving for everybody. Exactly. Yeah, a lot of our work is centered around looking at pregnant people who are experiencing domestic violence, pregnant people who are incarcerated, pregnant people who never have their voices come into research that actually informs clinical practice. And so by wrapping our arms around those communities and ensuring that we're supporting people who come from those groups and working from behind them and integrating their insights and learnings into our organization and the way that we think about equity I think that's the approach to be taking regardless of what you're focused on, but specifically around maternal health. The other thing I'd add here is that it's not just maternal health, right? When I have conversations with providers about how we got here, they'll also say things like, well, we don't talk about women's health. And in this Mm -hmm. country, we don't prioritize women's health. And therefore, Mm -hmm. it's not possible for actually us to have reduction in maternal morbidity and mortality. And then you think about social determinants of health and how bad they are across this country, it's built on a foundation of race. And so kind of going back to something that was said earlier, when I was in doula training, we learned about the hospital gown for Black women being the great equalizer. It doesn't matter how smart you are. It doesn't matter how much money you make. Those things actually can work against you. And so we have to also, in this context, talk about race. I completely agree. And I want to get to these root causes in a moment, but I want to stay on practical advice for organizational leaders. As somebody who's actually advocated for change, what are the biggest things that you needed to armor yourself with? Were there people in the room? Was there specific kind of data that helped you kind of lobby in your own efforts? And how did you deal with the inevitable pushback that anyone who's dealing with a challenge like health equity will ultimately get? Yeah, I think in the answer that I just gave, which is very multidimensional, it really was looking at how the organization had oriented itself around those different topics and Mm -hmm. then pulling them together to say, we have a real opportunity here and this is what we can live into, right? We say that we're about health equity. We can actually lead in this space. Isn't that amazing? From a branding perspective, from a thought leadership perspective, isn't that where we want to go? And because this issue sits at the intersection of race and gender, there's a real opportunity for us to learn about our patient population in a way that is not happening across the organization today. So this is a real practice what you preach moment. Yes, exactly. And I think that really helped us get the right people in the room. We said, look, we've done work in this space before. We're just building on the legacy of what has happened before. And I think that also helped us to get some momentum. And I think that same practice what you preach principle can help you not in just making sure that an organization is advocating for optimal patient outcomes, but also so that we're actually addressing the root causes in the community, which, Callie, to your point, is where we actually need to go if we are going to make progress. Let's make sure we understand why this problem exists. Darby, explain to me some of the root causes of maternal health inequity in the United States. Sure. So according to the research, we see this crisis in part because of kind of the intersection of two forces. So on the one hand, the legacies of structural systemic racism that we've been talking about for the past year and a half, more and more. And on the other hand, like Callie mentioned, the sort of systemic deprioritization of women's health across the lifespan in favor sometimes of fetal outcomes. So those two things together, I think, 
have uniquely led to the maternal health equity crisis. Darby, those are two, I mean, they're humongous challenges to solve. And so part of me is thinking, no wonder folks focus on quick wins or low-hanging fruit or aren't able to actually get to these root causes because you are talking about upending the structure of the United States. (laughs) My question is, how? How can organizations of all kinds start to chip away at these underlying issues? We are just beginning here, to be clear. I think two things are really important. One is that each of our philanthropic organizations that we're supporting, which is out there in the world, not necessarily about us as the second largest healthcare company in the world, changing our business practices, each of these grant partners has an executive sponsor. The intent of that is for the sponsor to serve as a senior advisor to the organization to look for opportunities for Optum to even more deeply support their work and also to think about the relationships and the communities, the insights that we're learning from our work to pull back into how we think about creating products and services within our organization. So that's one of the ways in which we're advancing, I think, equity and deepening the relationships with communities. That's really important because it's not just, again, out there. It's like coming into the organization as well. The second thing is thinking about how you align your priorities to what you say that you care about. Mm -hmm. One of the biggest things that I would love to see Optum do is to have really incredible best-in-class paid parental leave policies. I would love to see us lobby in ways that actually prioritize the things that we're doing externally and the things that we say that we care about internally. There's a gap there for a lot of organizations because we're in a capitalistic society, for-profit environments, and also there's so much space to walk the line. And I'd love to see us move closer to that in the future. And this is not just a lesson about one organization or one major healthcare company. Every single person who is listening to this podcast needs to think, what am I doing now to make progress? And how can I think bigger? How can I do more? How can I address every aspect of equity, not just my patient outcomes, but also my own people, right? My own workforce, as well as my community. And frankly, that's the message of equity, period. I think it just plays out really, really specifically when we talk about maternal health. Darby, what do you think? How can how can organizations, again, from across the industry, address some of these root cause issues? Yeah, I think on the one hand, leaders from organizations can sort of say, I'm actually making a change to my benefit structure in a way that will have far-reaching impacts. That's relatively an easy step to make compared to sort of the other complex changes that orgs have to make. To stay at a high level, we recommend tactics that fall into three key categories. The first being primarily for provider organizations. So those are the ones that you know are actually owning that patient interaction. We recommend that they start with sort of these no regrets safety protocols because too often the standard evidence-based OB protocols that vastly reduce the instances of never events, those are not being used as in a standardized way. Meaning they're only used for, say, white pregnant people. Or not. Or maybe they're just sort of, some some care teams know how to do it. Some t- care teams don't. Hmm. So just the basic way that we have care variation in general, exactly. we're not focused enough on it in this particular space. Exactly. And that's sort of like, do that immediately. After those are in place, then I think you can start to build those feedback mechanisms to try to get a sense of, okay, what are the broader causes of this beyond just sort of the care variation that we might see? That means expanding an existing maternal mortality review board to make it more of a perinatal review 
committee so that you catch problems that happen prenatal and postpartum, as well as during the delivery, in addition to sort of the basics of gathering data stratified by race to see where disparities prop up. And I would say that's the best practice for the patient outcomes piece. And then you pair that with what Callie was saying, which is how do we support our own workforce? How do we address this problem in the community? We'll be right back with more radio advisory after this short break. Is your organization trying to close the knowledge gap within the healthcare industry? Maybe you support clients that require your team to quickly get up to speed on the changing healthcare landscape. Or perhaps you have a high performer who is looking to gain deeper understanding of a particular topic. Whether it's learning the difference between sites of care or how money gets transferred from health system to payer, we've got you covered. Advisory Board now offers self-serve on-demand educational courses designed to upscale your staff on all things related to healthcare, including who's who within the system and current and future industry disruptors. To learn more, visit advisory.com and search on-demand courses or click the link in our show notes. At Advisory Board, we're passionate about moving healthcare forward by providing insights and actionable solutions to help healthcare leaders make better decisions. With recent accelerations in the workforce crisis and advances in technology, it's time to embrace new elevated responsibilities to support the broader industry. Visit advisory.com forward slash workforce to get research and insights that will help you understand the current challenges providers are facing and learn how technology, including platforms you may already have can address healthcare's biggest staffing and care delivery challenges. At this point in the original episode, we talked at length about a Texas law in 2021 that effectively outlawed abortion after six weeks of gestation. This was a huge topic of discussion at the time, but we all know that this wasn't the end of the story. The Dobbs v. Jackson decision in 2022 deeply restricted access to safe and legal abortion. We're going to talk more about this in the bonus segment at the end of the episode. But if you're looking for more information, we just wrote a piece reflecting on the year since the Dobbs decision. I'm going to add that to the show notes for you. To have a conversation about maternal mortality or maternal health, we just have to talk about women's health. And you can't talk about women's health without addressing the fact that safe and legal access to abortion is a necessary part of women's health. And we need to be willing to have that conversation if we're actually going to get at some of these structural root causes that ultimately improve outcomes for pregnant people in this country. You both work with organizations of all different kinds about this issue. What's the biggest thing that those organizations tend to get wrong when it comes to addressing maternal health? What a lot of organizations get wrong is that they think too narrowly, both about the scope of the problem, but also about who should be involved in the solution. So we we talked kind of specifically about the provider organization's role, but we know that health plans, life sciences companies, tech companies can also play a role 
And so each stakeholder across the industry has to has to really think strategically about how they can partner within our own industry and also even sometimes with competitors in mm. order to sort of raise the bar for each other. Do you have an example of that kind of partnership really playing out? Yeah. So for example, we've been talking with health plans that are trying to think through how to hold provider organizations accountable for equitable care delivery in quality scorecards. And we are also seeing providers who are trying to work with plans to one day get reimbursement for referring patients to social care, those things that actually have a a measurable impact on downstream outcomes. And I would add on to that and just say that I think being able to think about this issue more expansively is helpful for everybody. So like we're talking about with maternal health, it's also about women's health. It's also about reproductive justice and family planning. When we talk about birthing people, it's using that term birthing people, which is more inclusive. It's also talking about people of color, looking at who's experiencing the worst kinds of disparities, looking at how our research is not inclusive enough because it doesn't encompass lived experience as a part of what's informing clinical practice. Which comes back to those life sciences companies who are developing drugs and creating the technologies and all of the that upstream work. Exactly. Yeah. And one of the things that I think was important for us at Optum was to recognize that we did not have relationships with the communities we wanted to work in. And so it required us to partner with uncommon allies and people who maybe we wouldn't have partnered with before to be able to rebuild that trust and work within communities to address this issue because it is complex. It's multidimensional. And thinking that we can just focus on providers or patient education, it's not enough to get us where we need to be. I want to make sure that our listeners don't feel overwhelmed by the enormity of the problem here or that they feel, let's say, appropriately overwhelmed by the task at hand that every single person who's listening to this podcast needs to act on. And that's where I want to end our conversation. When it comes to maternal health, what is the one thing that you want to make sure our listeners do differently as a result of this conversation? I've said this before on radio advisory, so I'll be a broken record, but it's really important that we understand we can't fix structural problems without structural solutions. So while we should be meeting patients in communities where they are, while we should be impacting our workforce, I also want folks to think even further, especially those that have government affairs arms, which is most organizations, how can you say, for example, I'm going to weave in my maternal health equity goals into my advocacy agenda, whether it's I'm going to expand Medicaid coverage for pregnant people, or I'm going to try to advocate for funding and reimbursement for non-traditional providers like doulas. What are the different policy choices that we already know will impact maternal health in a positive way that should be added to your agenda? And also what needs to be taken off your agenda? Hmm. So in what ways are we actually perpetuating the same problem that we're trying to address? Yeah. And I think to support that is my recommendation, which is to get closer to the ground all the time. It was Mm. so important for me to have the experience as a doula, to work side by side with people while they were in labor and delivery to understand how broken this was. And I'm not recommending that everyone becomes a doula, although I think that would be amazing. There's needs to be much (laughs) more of us. But it's just being in conversation to the people who are most vulnerable and thinking about how you leverage your power, your influence, your privilege, which all of us have in some sort of realm, to think differently about the work that we're doing and to say what it is that needs to be said and make sure that our actions are aligned to that, right? It's not enough to say that we care about health equity. It's not enough to say that we really want to do something around maternal health. Get lower, like figure out how you do that and how you do that in community with the people that need to be most supported. 
And you don't need to be a pregnant person or know a pregnant person specifically in order to have that more on-the-ground connection. Yes, that's right. Well, Darby, Callie, thanks so much for coming on Radio Advisory. Yeah, thanks again. Thanks for having us. Hey, it's Ray again. It's been almost two years since we released that original episode. And in the time since, maternal health has continued to degrade in the United States. That's why I've brought back advisory board health equity expert Darby Sullivan and women's health expert Gabby Marmalejos to discuss how maternal health has been shaped by the remnants of COVID-19, to talk about the impact of the Dobbs decision and the dire mental health crisis we're seeing in the U.S. Hey, Darby. Hey, Gabby. Are you ready to talk about this again? Let's jump in. In the original episode, the data that we were talking about was all pre-pandemic. And now the CDC has released new data. That data, I want to remind our listeners, is from 2021. So right in the middle of the pandemic. What's changed since the last time we had this conversation? Yeah, I mean, as you mentioned, since the data is from 2021, it is partially influenced by COVID-19. If you remember, that's when the Delta and Omicron variants were still leading to a lot of hospitalizations and deaths. So it kind of shows how the pandemic, frankly, worsened a lot of disparities unrelated to pregnancy, but also worsened disparities related to pregnancy. As we saw, I mean, historically in the past, Black, American Indian, and Alaska Native women had the highest rates of pregnancy-related mortality and morbidity. After COVID, we saw that maternal deaths among Black women increased by 57% from 2019 to 2021. Wow. So now Black women are 2.6 times more likely to die from pregnancy-related complications compared to white women. So the disparity really got worse. And again, when we had this original conversation, we were talking about how bad the disparities were when it comes to maternal mortality. Yes. And Gabby, is it worth reminding our audience why we're going to continue to use the term maternal mortality? Yes. I mean, the the data that the CDC releases that I think everyone's usually talking about is maternal mortality, which the definition of maternal mortality is a little bit different than pregnancy-related mortality. The most recent data we have on pregnancy-related mortality, I think, is from 2018 or 2019 or something like that. So, And this is also how, how countries outside of the U.S. are measuring this data, yes. and, and it, it's helpful to then keep that comparison across international lines. Yes, yes. Darby, what did you think when you saw this new data come out? What struck me was that the data we're talking about, again, is showing not what's going on right now, but what was going on in 2021. And now we're in 2023. The world is very different because of jobs. And I, I hope this is not the case, but in two years, when you invite me back on the podcast to give another update, and we're finally talking about what's going on in 2023 today, we will almost certainly see that we have a rise in pregnancies carried to term. We also have a rise in maternal morbidities and mortality because of that. And unfortunately, I think we'll see a higher rate, higher rates of poverty for women and their families who otherwise would have gotten abortions. And so we know the ripple effects that poverty has and the social determinants of health have on women and their families and their ability to be healthy across their lifespan. And that's a really good caveat that I, I am, of course, not saying that we should not pay attention to the data and the very, very 
just terrible numbers that Gabby just shared. But it's also important for us to not get lost in the details and look at practically what's happening on the ground right now, because we know that we live through data lags like this, whether we're talking, frankly, about maternal mortality or or other issues in healthcare. On that note of making sure that we don't get lost, I have found that over the last few years, over the last few months, frankly, the last few weeks, there's been a lot of attention placed on really terrible, tragic cases of maternal deaths. And they, they tend to be ones that happen during childbirth or kind of kind of right, right after. And I don't want to discount how tragic those stories are, but I get worried that we're focusing on childbirth alone, or maybe even the first six weeks postpartum. And I think that's hiding a potentially even more tragic story that the data is showing us, that a larger and larger proportion of pregnancy-related deaths are happening in the year after birth. Yeah. What is driving that trend? I mean, that that is completely true. Um, when, we, when we last spoke, our best understanding was that deaths were kind of evenly spread across three different periods. So a third of maternal mortality or pregnancy-related deaths were happening in the prepartum period, a third were happening at the point of delivery, and a third were happening in the postpartum period. That has completely changed, and that's the piece that shocked me. It didn't shock me that we were getting worse in our performance overall, unfortunately, but it shocked me that now over half of maternal mortality in these deaths happened in the postpartum period between six weeks to a year after delivery. And what is driving this shift to this period that's long after kind of childbirth. Yeah. COVID was a big driver, as Gabby said, but another primary driver was and continues to be, I would imagine, the behavioral health care crisis. So that's specifically suicide and substance use in the postpartum journey. I just kind of want to take a minute and let that sink in for our listeners. The 2021 data, so not accounting for the post-obs reality, showed a shift in the rate of pregnancy-related deaths in the year after birth. And most of that is coming from overdoses and suicides. If that's the case, how should the industry be thinking differently about maternal health, knowing that it is now very, very linked to the behavioral health crisis? I think a lot of folks will will need to look at the maternal health strategy if they have one. Hopefully they do have one. Good reminder. <laughs> Good reminder. And make sure that they're realigning it to map to where the, the most pressing crisis is happening. So are you putting special focus? Is your investment you know, reflecting that 50%, over 50% of deaths are happening in that postpartum area? So there are certain things we can do and folks are doing right now to address this particular population and try to stem the crisis at hand. So those are things like making sure we have universal screenings for behavioral health issues from the prepartum period all the way to the postpartum period. Through a year. We should probably define what Through we mean because I, I'm hearing dif- different definitions. A lot of folks talk about six weeks. Some folks say 12 weeks. We really need to be talking about at least the first year. Yeah, good push. Advocating for things like equitable parental leave that has been shown to be associated with a lower risk of postpartum depression. Like these are things we can do. But sometimes, you know, I've done research in the behavioral health space more broadly we're so focused on standing the tide in front of us that we're not able to have a longer term strategy and think about the things that would 
stop the crisis from growing in the first place. So Ray, you know, I could talk about this forever. <laughs> You'll probably interrupt me. I have talked about this on the podcast, but those are things like, hey, if you're a health plan, maybe rethinking the reimbursement rates you have for behavioral health care services and for different providers. If you are a provider organization, how are you upscaling not just your PCPs, but every single clinician across service lines to notice the signs of behavioral health needs, screen for them, and then refer to services? Yeah. And I honestly, when you mentioned that, I recently talked to a provider that had an interesting approach. They were telling me how they actually, during preconception counseling, so they actually do screenings for people Hmm. and they assess a lot of different chronic conditions that someone might have. So behavioral health conditions, they also screen for hypertension, they might screen for diabetes and things like that. And they intervene early. And they were saying how this is an effort to frankly prevent a lot of high risk pregnancies in their space. And I just really appreciated how they were thinking ahead and thinking about, okay, let's not just intervene when that person is pregnant. Let's think Mm -hmm. earlier than that. So I think there's a lot of interesting and innovative ways to address the behavioral health crisis across specialties. I love that example, Gabby, because it starts before a person is actually pregnant. Because I'm really sensing that the problem that we're facing here goes deeper than maternal mortality, frankly, probably even goes deeper than maternal health, right? This is a women's health issue. As a health equity leader, as a women's health leader, what's the biggest thing that the industry needs to kind of change in terms of its it's thinking, it's framing around women's health and maternal health. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of focus on maternal mortality, and rightly so. You know, it is tragic leading cause of death for a lot of women. But, you know, women are more than just reproductive engines. Women have other needs and other circumstances that impact their pregnancies. And so, you know, it's interesting to me because I actually used to just focus on maternal health entirely. And when I was studying maternal health, I realized that so many of the drivers, so many of the leading causes of maternal health are actually related to chronic disease. Hmm. And it's related to, you know, I'm thinking of hypertension, I'm thinking of diabetes, I'm thinking of depression. And there are just so many different things that women experience outside of pregnancy. Yet when we talk about women's health, it's really specific to pregnancy. And in fact, those are the things that are driving their outcomes and, and, and even their mortality. Yes, for sure. And it's one of those things where if you if you truly want to make a difference in maternal health, you would want to think about women's health more broadly. And I think it's a more comprehensive and probably more effective strategy to think about it in that way. And if we're going to talk about women's health beyond pregnancy, we have to talk about abortion. Darby just brought this up. And when we originally ran this episode, it was a very different time here in, in the U.S. And and Darby, I, I don't know if you remember what, what you said in the initial episode, but you said something along the lines of the fact that any restriction on abortions would worsen outcomes for patients, especially for patients of color. Yeah. And you're saying now, you don't even need to really wait for the 2023 data to know this is something that we are going to see. My question is, why are you so confident in that prediction for the future, and what what does this reality mean for women's health? A lot of what makes me confident in this prediction is the data that we already have about really restrictive laws, like the one that we talked about in Texas a couple of years ago, in twenty twenty one. Yeah, in twenty twenty one. So at this point, 
we were actually many years into abortion restrictions mm-hmm. or now it's much more national, but, but we have data that shows that that shows that abortion restrictions lead to worse outcomes for maternal health and for women in general. We already are hearing kind of anecdotal evidence from providers that, and from OBs that these restrictions are leading to worse outcomes for their maternal health patients. And we know that unwanted pregnancies can directly impact a woman and her family's socioeconomic status Yes, and the rest of their social determinants of health. This is why we're talking about deeply rooted challenges in the way that women's health works, in the way that behavioral health works, in the way that health equity <laughs> works. And, and if I'm honest, I, I think our listeners might be feeling a little bit overwhelmed right now, especially because we would have hoped that in the time since we released this first episode, things would have gotten better when in fact things have gotten much worse. And I want to make sure that our leaders that are listening to this don't feel paralyzed by this reality. What do you want to see the healthcare industry do to support pregnant people, to invest in behavioral health, and to shift their mindset to focus on women's health writ large? Well, we're about to release a whole series just about this. So be on the lookout for that. But a sneak preview, there's so much that can be done. I don't think this is something that we should feel defeated by. I think there's so much opportunity. We're seeing so many different leaders think about women's health more differently. We didn't even study chronic diseases in women until the last couple of decades. Yeah. So I think there's so much that can be done to research conditions among women specifically. There's so many conditions that impact women specifically that are understudied and underfunded. So there's so much that we can do from just a clinical research standpoint. But from just thinking of a provider, I've seen a lot of organizations think about chronic disease and think about their specialties a lot more differently. Some organizations have women's heart programs. So one great example of this is Parkview Heart Institute's Her Heart Program. I really love this program because it's very comprehensive. They have a yearly expo that offers women resources and education related to heart health. Hmm. At this expo, they even will screen for different conditions. They take your blood pressure. They'll do some other biometric screenings, which is great. And they also have a Her Heart Challenge, which is a free program that offers a group of women personalized support from experts across the system to reach personal weight loss, blood pressure, and cholesterol goals. And I just love how they are really embracing women's health and thinking about it in a different way because the leading cause of death for women is actually heart disease. And I think Mm. people see heart disease as a men's disease, but it, it actually has a profound impact on women's health as well. Hmm. I love that story. Darby, what's your, what's your takeaway for our listeners? My takeaway would be, how is your health equity strategy going? If you were one of the, the folks that in 2020 said, okay, it's time to get serious. It's time to put together a strategic plan. It's time to make some investments. How does that look today in a time where the financial climate is a lot trickier for a lot of healthcare organizations? Is this something that has fallen by the wayside or is it something that you know, we're three years in and we've, we've made some meaningful, measurable progress. Those are the, like, the same types of approaches that we always recommend around health equity of, of investing in the community and investing in addressing the social terms of health. Those are the same things that will help women's health and maternal health improve. 
Well, I want to thank you for having a very difficult conversation. And I hope that two years from now, when you come back, we have a, a different story to tell our listeners. I hope so too. Thank you both for coming on Radio Advisory. Thank you for having us. Thanks. Look, the worst thing that all of us can do is reflect on this data and think there's just no way out of this problem. Gabby gave an excellent example of an organization that is starting to change the way that we think about women's health. And Darby's call to action is a good one. Take a look in the mirror at what you've said you would do to help support maternal health, to help support women's health, to help support health equity. If you don't feel like you are making progress, we've added a lot of material in the show notes. And please, please remember, as always, we're here to help. If you like Radio Advisory, please share it with your networks. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave a rating and a review. Radio Advisory is a production of Advisory Board. This episode was produced by me, Ray Woods, as well as Katie Anderson, Kristen Myers, and Atticus Rosh. The episode was edited by Dan Tyag, with technical support by Chris Phelps and Joe Schramm. Additional support was provided by Carson Sisk, Leanne Elston, and Aaron Collins. Thanks for listening.